Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. All right. Well, welcome to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Josh. And uh, we help you get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today? And today on the episode, we have Ryan Vett. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Thanks for having us. Having me, not us. Yeah. Yeah. You do look like two people over there. <laughs> no. You look, you look, you look like Jimmy Fallon. Has anybody told you that? Uh, I heard that this morning, believe it or not. Yeah. yeah. You'll hear it again in this interview, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. So we're here with Jimmy Fallon and we're very excited. The, uh, <laughs> so Ryan and I know each other. I got the pleasure of working with your dad and, um, I, I did a little bit of research. So just since you may not know Ryan Vett at this point in your life, let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, he's a marketing consultant, a business consultant, speaker and writer, dental consultant, podcasting. Um, he wrote a book about uh, a devotional about Christians dating. That's correct. That was your first book, right? Uh, it was my second, actually. That was your second book. It Ooh. was. So your first book was the one about the trip to China? It was, yes. Cool. Man. So... You are a guy who gets stuff done. Yeah. That's kind of, and that's probably just the tip of the iceberg. That sounds like what you were up to probably last time you updated your website, which was who knows how long ago. It's been a little while. So tell us a little bit about what you got going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I've had the opportunity to be in the the startup world for the last uh, five years or so. And it's been great being with different companies in the triangle area that have really made an impact on their particular fields. And in doing that, it reignited my passion for entrepreneurship uh, in, in the midst of all of that, I opened two coffee shops and wine bars. Uh, they're called the Oak House. Both of them have the same name. One in Elon, uh, across from the university there where I went to school and one uh, that just opened in downtown Durham. So check it out. Uh, and so I've been doing that too. But after, after spending some time and just trying to figure out what can I do to make a positive impact, one of my goals in life, I, I was at a, a conference when I was 18 and they said, uh, what is like your motto, your life motto? And I try to think yeah. about that. And my, my motto that I came up with then is to inspire others towards a positive change. And I felt that what I was doing, um, in what you call corporate America or in a day job wasn't necessarily inspiring others towards a positive change. Sure. I can inspire the team that reported to me and things like that, but I really wanted to get back to the roots and look for an opportunity to innovate. And around that time, my wife, Jessica, who is a dentist came to me and she was just having some frustrations with hiring people. Uh, and hiring good quality people, hiring them when needed and not having to wait a long time. And so I started to do what any good husband does. Instead of listening, I tried to fix her problem. Solve. Yeah, yep, exactly. Wives always appreciate that. Oh, they do. <laughs> and, and so I went into a uh, problem solving mode and started investigating and researching and realizing that there was nothing in the healthcare space that could provide on demand temporary workers. About 10% of the, the healthcare workforce is temporary workers. And uh, there's in no the healthcare way. space. Is that a little unique in that you're pretty qualified, like you're qualified or you're not. Exactly. So you do have to have licenses and every state's different and yeah. every position is different. And some states have positions that aren't in other states. I mean, it's very complex. Right. So hiring those people can be really difficult and no one's really made a scalable platform because of some of those difficulties. And mm -hmm. a lot of people have tried to innovate in the space, but they take what the traditional model of staffing is and just digitize exactly what's been done, which is good. It, a step forward, but that's not innovating. That's just doing something digitally. And so I tried to figure out how can we streamline some of those approval processes? How can we streamline license verification? And so essentially created a new company that just launched yesterday and that's called Boone. And it is Uber meets eHarmony meets healthcare staffing. It's temporary providers on demand. And you can, yeah. not only are we just putting someone in your office, but we're helping someone connect uh, based on their skill sets, based on their, if they know a certain EMR system, which is the system that manages patient records. Uh, we want to make sure when they walk into the office, they know what they're doing. So we, we help make all of that happen. So this is, this would be for dental, medical, veterinary You've got it. You've got it. So we're launching into dental first uh, for a number of reasons. That's where uh, my sweet spot is. That's where my wife is obviously. And I know dental pretty well. And there's a lot of opportunity there and there hasn't been a whole ton of innovation in dental in particular. And then we're moving into veterinary and medical within the next year. Yeah. So why Boone? B-O-O-N. What, what does that Boone mean? Yeah, that's a great question. And Boone, I'm really excited about that. So I was actually on a, a podcast uh, recently and someone asked 
me about branding. We were talking, having this big conversation about how do you name a company and what, what goes into a name of a company. Right. And you look at Apple and that just came around because uh, Steve Jobs was on literally an apple and fruit diet and had just come out of an orchard and he thought it was non-intimidating was his exact words. Uh, <laughs> at least according. I love one of the biggest brands. He's like, and I was eating an apple and I thought this isn't scary. Let's go with it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then you look at Walt Disney and that's somebody's name. And I want to know what Fruity thought was intimidating. He was like, it was between apple or that intimidating. Yeah. Hmm. Orange. Hmm. Maybe that, more of a vegetable. <laughs> all that acid. I don't know. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> and so you look at like Walt Disney and that's his name. And then you look at Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Do you know how they got their name? No, no, no idea. The ingredients. Cocaine. So the co cocaine. 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 And yeah. the cola nut. So that's how Coca-Cola actually got their name. <laughs> cola nuts. Wow. Yeah. I don't know what a cola nut is. I've had a cola nut syrup in like an Italian soda, but. I think Joe has some in his fridge out there. No, I don't. No cola nuts for you? <laughs> no cola nuts. Um, so that's, you know, you look at all these different names, but to get back to your question, Joe, why did I name it Boone? So I was trying to do something that was good, trying to do something that was different. And so I tried to look up words that a are translatable into a lot of languages because that's a big issue. You don't want a name of a company right. uh, and you go to a different country. I love the story of the Chevy Nova. Have you heard that one? Yeah. I have not. So the Chevy Nova was a car that came out. I think it was like late eighties. I'm not a car guy. Forgive me if that's wrong. Nineties Chevy Nova. Anyways, in Spanish, it means no go like Nova. Mm. And so they, <laughs> when they tried to ship it to a Spanish speaking country, <laughs> it was like they named the car the no go. That's awesome. Yeah. They could discount it heavily so, to sell it in the market. Yeah. Did not know that story, but naming is important, especially when you want to scale or go across country lines or even just be relevant to different people. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do is make an impact for all people. So boon is an old English word with Latin roots. That means doing something good or beneficial. Oh, really? And if you look at a bunch of languages, you probably know bone, bueno, um, and so many different languages have this idea of good. It's about 12 languages that have almost the same word, uh, bone or boon. So uh, that's really, really exciting. And our tagline is practicing good, yeah. which is the idea of uh, healthcare providers are practicing and every day that they do. And instead of practicing medicine, we want them to practice good, practice boon. So, yeah. And yeah. your tagline is practice good. And the graphics look really great. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. That's really exciting, man. Yeah, I'm excited for you. So it's kind of like Uber meets eHarmony meets, what was the third one? Healthcare staffing. Healthcare staffing. I love that. Uh, like, I love it when people pitch movies like that. It's kind of like this movie and this movie. And then you're like, oh, I get it. It's mm. a very efficient way to <laughs> kind of sum it all up for people. Right. I wasn't trying to redo Uber by any stretch, but it just made sense. Right. I, when I was talking to some early VCs, I was trying not to, uh, you say Uber because everyone's trying to Uberize everything. Mm. And I didn't want to go down that path. And uh, one of the guys turned to me, he's like, this is basically like Uber. I'm like, if you want to call it that, he's like, no, it's okay. This is a good take on Uber. I said, okay, then I'll, I'll take it. Thank you. So you were mentioning earlier, kind of what you felt like at the core of what you wanted to do is to inspire people towards a positive change. Yes. Do you think with this idea of Boone, I was reading on some of your marketing material about how it was putting the power back in the hands of the worker or the professional. Right. And um, kind of historically, I read there's a blog post about the history of staffing agencies and how, well, really like a lot of things are started with the benefit of the organization in mind. And so weren't really thinking about the needs and wants of, of the employees um, or the people that would be uh, receiving the services. And then I was thinking about this idea that you hear all the time now about how, uh, put it in whatever context, you probably read this blog online about how millennials are willing to trade flexibility or these five things for more pay, et cetera. And I thought this could be a really good season for this because the idea of flexibility or having a little bit more control over your schedule is such an empowering idea to, to millennials. And um, I'm just wondering, was that a little bit of what was going into your thought process with this? Yeah, it definitely has a part to do with it. And the other thing that really shocked me was when I was doing research on the market size and is this viable and is it worth pursuing and leaving a, a good, comfortable job to go do this? Uh, what I found was that almost one third of all active dental licenses in the United States did not earn money last year. Wow. So dentists have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and years and years and years in school. And this is, again, just particularly dental. You're not looking at medical or veterinarian yet. And they're not using their license. Now, if you dig into that number, a lot of it has to do with retired dentists, but a lot of it has to do with people working overseas, too, that might not have earned money in the U.S. But still, if you have almost one third of your population that's not using 
their license, that should raise a red flag as to why that is. And the root causes are retirement, um, burnout, which is a huge, huge issue. If you're looking about correcting a, a millimeter with a, a slightly different shade of white every single day, <laughs> I mean, that gets pretty monotonous and people don't like coming to you. And so how can you yeah. give someone that flexibility? And, uh, the other part is the retired people. So they golf for one or two years and they love their retirement. Then they're like, oh, this isn't all I thought it was chalked up to be. And, you know, a lot of dentists and medical professionals retire younger than the average working person. And so they still are very able to work and can't get a temporary job because they're they're older. You know, they're yeah. retired and they're labeled as such. So we want to empower those people to have that flexible schedule and be able to take vacations when they want, not have to work these long shifts or take vacations when the practice owner takes vacations, which is another big thing that people don't realize in most states, not all states, but whether it's a medical practice, a veterinarian practice, a dental practice, if the doctor, the highest uh, degree person is not in the building, patients cannot be brought back to the operatories to be seen. And so you hmm. can't even get your teeth cleaned. You can't get a nurse to draw your blood pressure. You can't get all these different <laughs> things to unless that doctor is in the room. And so there's a lot of opportunities to have someone on demand in case someone gets sick. I mean, if you have the whole practice and thousands of dollars of production a day resting on one single person and that yeah. person can't be there, that's, that's. Do you know, do you know what majority of practices are like single doctor practices? Is that the majority? Uh, more and more, it's not the majority, which okay. is another uh, cause for a lot of the burnout or people leaving, especially in the the non-doctor level. So some of the support roles, a lot of people are leaving those positions because uh, of the consolidation of healthcare, both with medical and dental practices. So big, big organizations and health systems are buying up these practices and uh, they're maybe not making pay as great or making work uh, longer or longer weeks, whatever it might be. And so uh, it, it becomes a, a bit more difficult. So I would say more uh, originally like three quarters were all single practitioner, but now you're seeing that drastically shrink. Hmm. You were mentioning before about work-life balance, kind of switching gears here a little bit. Yeah. So you've started a lot of stuff. Yes. How did, what kind of tips and tricks have you learned about work-life balance? Yeah, I think that that's really something that I've learned a lot about uh, recently and not always the easiest like way. The way you said learned made me think you made a lot of mistakes in this area. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> I love the definition of expert as the person who's tried everything that's wrong until they, all that's left is right. I'm like, definitely not an expert. Yet. <laughs> you're on your way. That's good. <laughs> if I was an expert, I'd stop uh, running into some of these lessons that I'm learning. But, <laughs> uh Work-life balance is really important. I think we often chase after success, uh, which is easy to do because it's the world standard of what they say success should look like. But at right. the end of the day, we're not chasing significance. And, and really, if we if we pursue significance over chasing success, our life will be so much more fulfilled. It will be uh, just so much more well-rounded because at the end of the day, you can have whatever clothes you want. You can have whatever car you want. You can have whatever house you want. Right. And all of that, your car is going to go out of date with the next year's model. Your clothes are going to not fit someday. Uh, and your house is going to have repairs that you always have to do. And you're always going to have to have, you know, it, it, you can't take it with you. But the question is what, what are you investing in? Are you investing in the people that both of your clients, your team members and all of that, and are people better because they've worked with your product or service having touched it after touching it, or are they the same? And, and that's really what I, I'm trying to do with Boone is I want every single team member that comes on board to be better having worked at Boone, even if it doesn't work out. And so unfortunately we've already had to let some people go or part ways with different people. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of it, I want them to always be able to call me back and if they ever need anything and just have that relationship because we want them to be better having met us than have it before. And I think if you understand that and stop chasing success uh, and invest in people, the success from a worldly standpoint almost always comes. Yeah. I like that. I think Josh and I were just talking not too long ago about like success. The problem with success is we never define it. So right. it's always like, we're not there. Um, it's always like, who's Rockefeller is like, how much money is enough? More. Right. A little bit more. Right. <laughs> and if you never define, I like your definition of it. Cause I think, I think significance is actually a definition of it. Like I'm going to define success as this. I'm going to be investing in people. I'm going to put relationships first. I'm going to, and I think you've, you've offered a good framework for a definition of something that a lot of people, I think we were just talking about this in the last episode with Londi as well. Like the notion of it's very common practice to just be like, don't think about that. That's a retirement thought. Mm -hmm. You don't want to worry about like what success looks like or what you want right. to do later. Like <laughs> you just got to keep working, man. Right. Uh, yeah. So 
tell me a little bit about maybe when you feel like some of that stuff got out of whack for you. What do you notice in your life when you're like work? What are some of the, the gauges that go off in your mind when you notice work-life balances off? Yeah, I think that's, it, this is where I'm not an expert. Uh, <laughs> if I knew, then I would stop running into these problems. <laughs> you know, they're out of whack when I have to sit down and, and tell my wife, you know, I, I'm sorry for whatever <laughs> that is. I was that, gonna say, that's mine too. But that's, like, that's after the fact. What um, apologies need to be issued. Right, yeah. right. I, I think really having priorities in your life will always be a good barometer to see whether or not you're just doing life the way you plan to do life. So in my life, I've written it down and most people haven't ever written down their priorities in life, which is really fascinating. Um, and they, they're like, no, I have priorities. It's like, what are they? And they're like, well, it's this. And is that today's priority or is that, <laughs> is that your life's priority? And so for me, it's always God first and then it's family and then it's friends and it's business. And whenever any one of those shuffle around, the whole tower just starts to tip and go back yeah. and forth. And I think that's really a challenging uh, thing to keep in mind. But if you write down your priorities and you stick to that, that's a good barometer to keep you at least somewhat on yeah. track. How do you think, how do you gauge that? Because I think I share similar priorities as well. And I know that early on, I used to probably define it incorrectly because I would put like time association. So I think like if this is the most important priority, then this is where I spend the most amount of time. So like I would also put God first. So I would think, all right, I should be spending the most amount of time with God. And uh, in reality, I spend like a half an hour in the morning mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and then try to remain in a, in a state of relationship with him. But it's not like I'm just like in a Zen state with my fingers, with my fingers in the little ohm shape and I'm like, I'm legs crossed and hmm, speak to me, God, all day long. You know, we got we got other stuff going on. How do you. What kind of. uh what kind of priority do you put time in this? I mean, I think time is really important, but I think when you're going through and trying to analyze your priorities and you're comparing two good things, and that's the hardest thing that we face every single day, yeah. especially when you, you're presented with an opportunity to do a lot of good things. Yeah. It's like, okay, you've got two good things. Which one do I choose? Everything on your list would be noble. Right. right, like right. These four priorities, none of them are bad things. Exactly. And it's how do you choose? And I think what <laughs> it comes down to is not necessarily time, but it's am, is doing something for my family taking the place of doing something for God or is doing something for business, taking time from doing something for my friends. So I don't, I mean, you're always going to spend more time at work than you're, you're going to spend probably at home unless at least waking hours, yeah. uh, unless you sleep at work and then you must be a mattress tester or something. But other than that, you're, most of your waking hours are, are spent at work. Does that mean work is a higher priority than your family? Probably not because uh, you're earning for your family and you can right. glorify God in your work. So I would say no. But the question is, at what point does that cross the line? So does your work allow you? I don't travel on Sundays, uh, which is really, really hard. Um, I miss uh, I try to miss no more than two Sundays a year at church. Is that because I think going to church is the right answer and you have to do that? No, but it's a priority that my wife and I have set because we have the opportunity to travel to some cool places and go on some cool trips. We have the, I have the opportunity to go travel and speak probably almost every weekend if I, if I wanted to, but the reality is for us, we said, no, this is a priority, not because it's a number that we, we have to hit or not because God wants us to be there, mm -hmm. but because sometimes you can say some good, say no to something good to do something better. And when, when that gets out of whack, uh, you can just, it, it just really changes the way in which your whole life yeah. uh, feels. I think that's a really important point. I think a lot of people put priorities in this mindset of like, it's all about what you say yes to, but I think it's almost equally or maybe a little bit more about what you say no to because mm -hmm. you're creating space for the things that you find to be important. Otherwise, if you say yes to everything, you're living reactionary, which is like somebody with no priorities. Right. Right. Like whatever happens today is what happens. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not a very uh, structured or it doesn't feel like you're making choices in that regard. You're just kind of running through stuff. Right. Yeah. I think it's Stephen Covey and it might be someone else, but I think it's Stephen Covey that has the rocks analysis. And he says, Hey, I've got this box of rocks and I can pour it into this jar. And if I pour the big rocks first and then the pebbles next and then the sand and then the water, it's all going to fit. Yeah. But if I do it out of order, it, it never fits. And it's, I mean, you can go do that at home. It's a profound experiment because you really think about, okay, if I put these big rocks first and right. everything I do, um, it doesn't mean that they're taking up the most space. And that's the really fascinating thing. There's actually more sand and water in the jar at the end of it. So it's not the thing that's taking yeah. up the most space, but it's the thing that's most important. Cause if you mm -hmm. put that on last, it's never going to fit. Mm -hmm. So how do you think you got to your why you said that 
early on, you said 18 at a conference, you landed on this to inspire others to a positive change. And what I like about that is I think a lot of times people, especially Christians, because I know you grew up in the church, yeah. they think of calling as a career path. Like they think of calling as it was kind of defined in my experience growing up as a calling in the church world was like called to what called to be pastor called to be senior, pastor, which was right. it. It's a job. And, um, I like your definition of, of what you felt like you were called into because it's, it's actually a statement of the kind of activities that you should be doing. Right. That, uh, and I find that fascinating the older I get, because I keep being reminded like, when I went to school when I was 18 and when we were all younger, we had no idea what we wanted to do. Right. And then, you know, you turn, I turned 30, which was like eight years ago. So I don't know why I'm being so generous with myself, but that line just keeps pushing. Like I used to think like my brain didn't turn on until I'm 30. And then I'm like, well, now I don't even know if I <laughs> learn how to think until I'm closer to 40. And I wonder if that's just going to keep happening, you know, as you, as you get older and older. So how did you end up Tell me about that conference. Like, how did you end up with that? And I find it really fascinating because mine is very similar. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great minds think alike. Uh, I would say I landed on that because I wanted to be a leader. That was kind of my, yeah. my goal. Um, and I didn't know what a leader looked like. And I felt that that was a good definition of a leader. If you look at a leader, it's not someone that has a, a bunch of followers, which I think is what we get mistaken with a, a lot. Uh, but it's really someone that can provoke or evoke change in the life of another individual. Mm -hmm. And so even if you change one person's life, you've actually been a leader. And I think people fail to realize that. And so they, they try to set these lofty goals and in pursuing huge leadership opportunities, they leave a bunch of people in their wake. And I think that's something that people don't often, don't often look at. So I picked that basically as a definition of leadership that I could kind of govern my life by. And it also has, it goes back to, you know, my faith and basic biblical roots. And if you look at, um, what Jesus called us to do, it's go making disciples of all nations. Mm -hmm. And that's inspiring others towards possibly the, not possibly absolutely the best change that they could ever make. Yeah. So mine, I don't know how I landed on this, but it started when I was writing a blog. So that wasn't as young as you, but I kind of went through this path where I had this misunderstanding that calling was job title for a long time. And then finally came to this realization later in life. And so when I started writing this blog called Marketing Jesus, that doesn't exist anymore. But um, the tagline was kind of like, I went through a similar process. Like, what is it that I actually really want to do? And it was inspire creatives to leverage their time, talent, technology to tell a better story. And, um, which is essentially more words of what you're saying. Like, yep. uh, <laughs> and I think as I'm growing older now, like I think I used to think creative meant like maybe somebody in the creative discipline, but we're all creative. We're created in the image of a creative God. And right. so business owners and the people that I'm working with now are actually very creative people. Um, and so maybe that word's a little bit extra right now, but um, I know for me, that was a big turning point realizing. And I know for when I had to learn it, it was like, I was looking back at the time I was a youth pastor. And, um, I was looking back over what I would put in the category of success. And in my mind, it was like the lives that I was able to impact. And so it boiled down to a list of names, like this guy, this kid, this girl. And, um, and then realizing that my job title had absolutely nothing to do with that. Right. Like I could have made all those differences. I could have been there. I could have showed up. I could have done the things that made the difference in their life. And that didn't need to be my job title. In fact, some of the harder kids, like at the time there were, there were emos. I don't know if those exist anymore, <laughs> but at the time that this story was going on, I don't know if you remember that, but it's oh, yeah. like dashboard confessionals. You're, you know, kind of just sad about stuff. Um, and those particular types of kids, I remember saying like, no, just encouraging things like, you know, got, got a plan for your life. You're, you're a really smart person. Is that journey? I was like, no, you have to say that you're my youth pastor. It's like, it didn't even matter. Right. It's like, that's just what you say because that's why my parents pay you. And at some point, <laughs> so the job was actually made tougher by the title. Yeah. And um, I think that's a very interesting point for people to think about. Like, I believe we have so much of our identity wrapped up in our job title. Yeah. And it, what that does is we're, we're limiting our perception of how big our story can be because it's not just what you can do in this spot. Right. It's actually what you can do, like what you were wired for, yeah. what you were made to do. Yeah. And we love talking about like people's whys on the podcast. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't grow up in the church and I didn't grow up in a church family, but we went to church 
Um, and I was baptized in a baby pool in a parking lot. Nice. And then I did my altar call at a predominantly large African-American church in Atlanta, Georgia, at Creflo Dollar on stage with Creflo Dollar, which was really a great experience. But for me, the turning point, like at first it was like the whole calling thing was like, yeah, what do you, where do you fit in in the church? And I'm like, I don't really fit in in the church. I don't think, but I read this book called Roaring Lambs. Mm. which was interesting. You guys heard of it? No. no. Roaring lamb. So the pastor who baptized me in the I baby I just hear pool, a screaming goat when you say roaring that. Roaring <laughs> lamb. Oh yeah, right. Well, it talks about the lion side of the lamb, right? And the lion, but the, it, it just was encouraging people not to just think about it in terms of being a pastor or an evangelist or whatever, but think about it in terms of we need salt in the world. Go back to Hollywood, go back to this place, yeah. be in this place. And that spoke to me, like gave me some opening with possibilities. Mm. Yeah. Just to contribute to that little piece there. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I want to go back to talking about the Oak room, right? Like what uh, got the Oak house, the Oak house. Yeah. That's it's what I meant. House, Edit that out. It's not just a room in the house. It's the whole place. Does it have to do with an Oak tree? Uh, it does actually. Interesting. Going back to names. What's in a name. Yeah. Uh, it, can I yeah, go ahead. for a minute? So the Oak uh, house comes from Elon, which in Hebrew means Oak. And our first uh, venture is literally across the street from uh, Elon university. And every, so next to us, to our, if you're, depending on how you're looking at to the right side is acorn, uh, to the left side is the root. And so we're the oak house. Uh, <laughs> and, and so that's funny. Uh, that's kind of where we got our name and we do have a uh, nice red oak bar and things like that and nice, uh, oak tables, but the new location we were looking to rebrand and we decided that we re really had a lot of brand equity and people loved kind of what we offered. It's very different. It's coffee. It's a beverage lounge, coffee, beer, wine, and whiskey. We're not going to make cocktails. We're not going to do blended drinks. Uh, so you can't get your Frappuccino. You can get an iced coffee. Uh, but we're the experts at pouring. And when we pour, we're going to give you an experience. We're going to give you an education and we're going to do it in an environment that's just warm and comfortable so that no matter who you are, whether uh, you drink, you don't drink, whether you hate coffee, love coffee, whether you want tea or just a craft soda, we, we have something for you and it's just an environment for everybody. So do you have a, like a, like a time of day where it like turns from like a coffee shop to like a bar? We don't No. So it's, it's a very fluid environment yeah. and there are people who will start with an Irish coffee. Nice. Uh, yeah. and but you don't pour, right? So they got to order one of each and make their own. So, well, you <laughs> yeah, what's up we, with that? we weren't stir or mix it. We will give them uh we'll, we'll pour both into a cup because gotcha. even when you pour a latte, yeah. um, you're still pouring you know, espresso on milk on top of espresso. And you know what I that, find so. to be a very humorous thing. And I see it quite regularly. Somebody will stop in the Starbucks and they'll order a macchiato mm -hmm. and the person pouring will go through the work and effort of making this mixed drink where the heavier stuff goes mm -hmm. to the bottom. And then the person grabs the straw and they're like, stirs <laughs> it. <laughs> yep. It's like, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. I want to protest that. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of just feel bad for the person who made it. They're like, well, I could have done that. It's like the way I feel when I ask my daughters to help get their other daughter. And they're just like, nah, like I, I could have done that. You right. know? <laughs> I was actually meaning you should go do the thing. So when you do coffees, do you do the pour, the pours, the drip pours? We do have pour overs. Oh, I love yeah. that. I love that yep. pour over. And we're looking at a couple other interesting, more modern, trendy ways to do some, some coffee with. Go to see Intelligentsia in California. I love Intelligentsia. Yeah. You experience there. It's from Chicago, actually. Is, is it from I'm Chicago? From. Yeah, yeah. Sweet, man. Yeah. It's where I'm from. So, so uh, you deep dish or New York style pizza fan? Uh, deep dish. Nice. Of course yeah. you're from Chicago. I, I have to be. What All was right. the Chicago? deep dish pizza you liked uh which brand yeah. or which uh, giordano's yeah. i'm a giordano's guy yeah like through and through. have you ever had that never ever it's basically like a bread bowl <laughs> and they just <laughs> they pour like tomatoes so much and what? cheese do you eat it with like, a spoon no it somehow stays together which oh. is magical in itself no i mean, I mean it's a thick it's a thick uh probably two inch crust and it's a sturdy crust Man. i mean it's very sturdy but yeah. It's cheese, then sauce, then mm. your toppings, then more sauce. So it ends with sauce on the top. Mm. Um, I used to live there. They used to have a lunch special at the time. I was like $8 for a slice of it, which was like, it's a lot of food yeah. to get a slice of this kind of pizza. Yeah. But it's delicious pizza. Man. It is the best. So Intelligentsia started there. Yeah. And then migrated over. So to like California and other stuff. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. California has some good coffee roasters they too. Do. There's a lot of good coffee roasters on the West coast. Oh, All, is that right? Yeah. My brother and I several years ago, well, it's almost a decade ago now, but mm -hmm. I'll say several years ago. Cause it feels like yesterday. Yeah. Uh, we started in Seattle and went all the way down to San Diego and 
we did coffee tastings like the whole way. And it was just some really, really cool places over we there. We ought to connect you with a former guest of ours, David Morgan. So I went to Africa with David and okay. his wife, Bethany, for their nonprofit Love Abounds. Okay, And they're, uh, they're exporting coffee from uh, Zambia. That'd be great. Yeah, We area. roast coffee in our space, actually. Do you really? This, yeah, I saw your roaster. Yeah. yeah, we partnered with Kambaya Rojo, which is a, a woman-owned roaster. Uh, and she does just great, great coffee. Wow. But I would, she loves to ha- roast coffee with a story. So yeah, I'll, uh, consider this the official introduction, David Morgan. <laughs> there you go. We there got it. Go. I'll forward it over to Gabby. There Thank was you. a coffee shop in Minneapolis where I went to school that had a roaster in there. And there's something about the atmosphere oh, that the yeah. roaster, and it was kind of one of the first ones that I saw anyways, they put the roaster, not in the back, like they put it in the front and right. a little rope around it. Like this is how your coffee's made by the way, oh, kind yeah. of approach. Yeah. And it just smells so good. Oh, there's just, nothing like it. It's crazy. Yeah. It doesn't smell like coffee though when it's roasting. It smells like bread and then caramel and it, it goes through all these different cycles. So people are like, it doesn't smell like coffee, but it smells so good. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. It's like the combination of all, what a weird thing, coffee. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know who thought to like, we know what we should do. We should roast that. Then we should grind it up. Then we should push some water through it. And that's going to be great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's crazier is it starts in cherries. So yeah. they have to get it out of the cherry. Yeah. Like, they have to who, set who it in a about field. That? Like just, we're going to leave yeah. it on this tarp for like a week and we'll come back and then we'll see. Like yeah, <laughs> the combination of what it must have taken. There's my dog, JPEG. Yeah. Oh, by the way, like I, I mentioned on the podcast forever ago with Maddie that JPEG has an Instagram account that my daughter started and yes. if she gets to a thousand people, then she gets to pick dinner. She had a great week last week. I think JPEG's up to like 700 followers. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> Which is crazy. That's more than me. I mean, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. I instantly went through like, yeah, I'm proud of you. Also a little jealous of the dog, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So thanks for following JPEG the dog on Instagram. So the coffee shop, is that kind of knowing what I know about your story here, the gist behind it, were you trying to create like a great third place for relationships? That's exactly what it is. So it's an interesting story how it started. I started with my co-partner, Phil. Uh, He was the chaplain at Elon University Hmm. uh, while I was a student there and I was an RA. So whenever, you know, we had student issues arise and they, we needed that. You know, we we need for this problem, coffee. And then, you know what we need for this problem? Whiskey. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Uh, And so one day Phil and I were talking and and Phil loves wine and I do too. Uh, He drinks coffee, but wasn't a huge coffee person. I said, you can't just have a wine bar across from Elon. Like that's not going to work. And he's like, well, you can't have a coffee shop because we've got one of those. So uh, we started talking about it. And one day in Asheville, uh, we were at the SoCon championship when Elon was back in the Southern conference. And Mm -hmm. um, we we just started talking one night and we said, we're going to do it. And so, uh, I kind of partnered with him there and did some of the business side and he does the day-to-day operations and it went really, really well. And, uh, we said, wow, that went so well. We need to open one in Durham. Uh, he's from Durham originally. Mm. And I, and I saw your space. It's kind of, it looks like it's by the American underground. It's pretty much across the street. Yeah. yeah. So we're, uh, if you drop a pin on Durham, it's pretty cool. Like if you Google Durham and the pin drops on Google maps, move the pin and that's our building. Like we're, we're <laughs> under the pin. It's in one city center. It's that new 27 story building that they built downtown, uh, right in the heart. And so we're at the corner of Maine and Corcoran, uh, between B goods and poke works. So it's, I mean, a block and a half from deep back, two blocks from the ballpark, oh um, you know, two and a half blocks from, uh, that's farmer's great. So market. next time I see something at deep back, I know where I can go absolutely. Yeah. grab a beverage. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Pump that out. Deep back right around the corner. That is great. Yeah. It, yeah. So we're super excited about yeah. it. Um, and that opened when? Uh, it opened yesterday. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. What are Durham, people who live in Durham, they call Durhamites? Sure. Dermites or Duramites? <laughs> I would say Duramites. Dermites sound like Dur- something that sounds eats like Dermite. Yeah. 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 No, no, no. Dermites. <laughs> Dermites are cool people, man. Thanks. <laughs> are you a Duramite? Uh, I am now, I would say. Nice. Yeah. yeah. My wife and I moved downtown uh, last year. What's your favorite part about Durham? I, there's just so much going on. Um, good food, good drinks, uh, a good place to hang out. You've got Deepak. We've been season members for like five years now. Uh, the ballpark, we walked to the ballpark to catch games. Um, it's almost like somebody designed the city for work-life balance. It's like, there's a lot of place to work, Yeah, but here on the first floor, it's all about relationships. And then, (laughs) yep. Yeah. I heard uh, Kevin Costner's making a movie there called Bull Durham. Have you heard about this? (laughs) <laughs> I think I've heard about that. Oh, is this old news? <laughs> yeah. I hear they're even whatever, building a new yeah. ballpark too. Yeah. Man. That's funny. That's I like funny. how you can see the ball field from buildings, like from the offices, certain places, right? I've oh heard, yeah. 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 
there's some really cool offices surrounding, uh, surrounding the ballpark, but going back to the third place question. Um, so one of the things our goal was at Elon was, uh, there wasn't a bar that wasn't like a bar bar in a college town. Uh, there wasn't a place where uh, yeah. a professor could come get a drink with a student that was 21 if they wanted to, if they felt comfortable with that or where they could get coffee in the you know morning with a class or whatever that yeah. might be. So we tried to create that third place in Elon and the response was overwhelming. I mean, you have a lot of people that aren't from Elon coming through Elon just because of the school and college tours and the comments we heard were, there's just nothing like this. It yeah. doesn't feel like a bar feels more like a lounge. It doesn't feel like a Starbucks coffee shop, but it's a place where I can work. It's a place where I can hang out with friends. It's a place where I can go on a date. It's a place where I can bring my little kids, it's a place where I can bring my family yeah. and everybody's comfortable. Um, yeah. That's an interesting thing. Cause I don't think that existed too long. Now I haven't been drinking for a long time, but, uh, the, the idea of like, it's not like a bar bar, but you hear that all the time. Like it's not like a bar bar. Right. Like now we've got these things called poor rooms. Right. And uh, like downtown Cary has some and there's picnic yep. tables outside. You can just go grab a beer, take your dog, hang out. There's an ice cream place next door. It's kind of like, there's this interesting idea when you're in a downtown space that you don't have to be everything. Like right. you can just be good at one thing and then they can go next door and grab their thing and bring it over to your place. And yeah. everybody can kind of mix and match, which is uh, it's a very cool idea. Mm. I don't have anything by my house that's like walking distance that I would feel like really excited about going to, like like what you're describing. Yeah, um, I'm hopeful that they're going to take where we're by Carytown Mall right now. Mm-hmm. They've got big plans for this, apparently. Okay, um, so that's the third oak house. Yeah, ooh, maybe interesting. that would be fantastic because then I could. There's a little greenway right here. You can just pop out. Yeah, Barnes and Noble, and, and I manage right a pumpkin up. patch right down <laughs> in South Hills nice. Mall parking lot. It's been there for, this will be the fifth year. Okay. So I'll know where to go to get my coffee and my whiskey. Spice lattes. Oh gosh. Bring it. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that idea, man. That's, um, I was telling my wife and I still haven't quite found it yet, but just the desire that I have for a third place. Yeah. You know, especially now that I'm going through this transition and I'm working from home, you guys are kind of in my home office here. I like to work outside of the office. Sometimes I have a week where I'm like, no, I just want to sit here and get stuff done. And sometimes I'm like, I just can't be in this basement again. Like I got to go somewhere and do something else. And I don't have a spot. And Laura's like, well, you should just go to a bar. And I said, yeah, I like to romanticize it. Like I'd walk in and they'd be like, Norm, my name's Joe. But you know, uh, (laughs) but then I know I shouldn't spend my whole every night hanging out in a bar. That's right. not a good idea. Right. Uh, Cause yeah. a bar bar, like it's kind of job is to drink. Like, you right. know, it's like when you go to Starbucks and you don't order something, you feel bad. It's like, yeah. if I'm going to mooch off your Wi-Fi, I'm going to drink your coffee. Yeah. And I think that's one of the cool things about what we've done. We have so many drink options. I mean, so many, we have eight, 12, uh, 16 beers on tap. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what the new one is. The first one's 12, the next one's 16, but we have like 30 or 40 bottle options just for yeah. beer. We've got about five or six by the glass wines and about 20 bottles or 30 bottles you can buy and then tons of different coffee. So you guys have kind of solved one of the problems that's an issue by offering so many different kinds of beverages that like some of the poor rooms downtown, they don't open until like two because who wants to go for breakfast? Well, <laughs> breakfast out. <laughs> like breakfast. Yeah. The, uh, that's interesting. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. So what have you learned from, from opening a restaurant type place? Mm that I don't ever want to open a restaurant. Um, <laughs> it, it's tough. It is a, and, and I don't even manage it. So I need to give my hats off to Phil, uh, who does the the day-to-day operations. And I, I mean, it is long hours. It is tough. Things happen, things break, and you've got to be on call all the time. It is a very, very tough business, but it's also very rewarding. And I think people don't think about that, especially in our environment. I don't know about a restaurant. I mean, I guess if you're a chef and you uh, do a a great meal, you can feel good about that, but we get to have conversations. It's a very conversational, very warm place uh, with people. And I mean, even if you look on uh, social media, every graduation, Elon's graduation was like two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And if you look on social media, uh, so many people post, oh, this is my last Oak House drink. Um, and it, it just was something that was, it was their third place. And I, I found this out after my grandfather died many years ago. Uh, his name was Tunis, uh, good Dutch name. Uh, but every day or most days he'd actually stop by McDonald's and get a cup of coffee at their, uh, little bar counter there and just sit there for a couple minutes before going home to kind of unpack and unwind from the day. Hmm. And uh, I don't know how long he did that or how long that was a habit of his. Uh, but yeah. he did that so that he didn't have to bring work home. 
and he could just kind of, you know, have an outlet there. And I found that out after the Oak house was opened. Yeah. Um, but I was like, wow, this is like the, the Tunis place. Like this is yeah. like a place where people can unwind or people uh, leaving home. Maybe if, you know, they had a rough morning can stop in before for coffee, just a coffee um, yeah. and, and then go to work, but, or, you know, have meetings or have dates, whatever it is. And it's just, it becomes this place that's a, a safe environment for a whole family or an individual and just really something different that we're trying to create. Yeah. There are some places and I think restaurants, poor houses, it sounds like the way you're describing the Oak Room can be metaphors for like a place where relationships happen. And that's yeah. kind of a really unique, yeah. exciting thing to spend your time doing. Right. Like you're, you're basically creating an environment for relationships to happen. Mm-hmm. And so, so much about it is about the hospitality is, is the Wi-Fi free? Yeah. Is the lighting good? Is, is it a good place to have a conversation? The way you do the layouts and everything. It's a, it's a very, it's a very exciting. It must be a rewarding way mm-hmm. to spend your time. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's fun. That's special. It's very cool. So tell us a little bit more about Boone. How do people find out? How do they start using it? Yeah. So we launched yesterday, which is super exciting. And uh, we've already had a ton of signups. Yeah. And basically uh, you can go to doingboon.com, which would be doing good essentially. So doingboon.com and you can learn more about the platform and you can learn more about signing up as a provider, which would be a healthcare person that wants right. to go do temporary work. So if you want to work, that's the other thing. If you want to work three hours a day and that's it, you can do that. Typical agencies require a minimum of eight hours. So we'll give you the flexibility to work however long you can. If you yeah. have a medical condition that doesn't allow you to work for more than you know four or five hours, you can input that. Uh, so you can do it that way. And then if you're a practice, you can also hire on demand and we have transparent pricing. So anyone um, right now, a lot of temp agencies, and not all, I don't want to generalize and put everyone in this bucket, but a lot of temp agencies charge a lot of money to have a membership with them and then charge a placement fee, then charge a premium on the hourly rate. And so all of a sudden you're, you're paying all these fees just to get uh, an employee that's there for a couple hours. And yeah. uh, we're trying to reduce that cost. And there's usually a lot of negotiation involved. Yes. Yes. And so we're taking that all out. When you hit request provider, it says, Hey, your provider is going to cost you $300 today for the hours you wanted to work. They'll be there within 42 minutes, just like you ordered a DoorDash or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, think about the freedom that that would provide. Mm-hmm. Let's say you were in a healthcare profession and you knew, man, I want to spend a month somewhere else mm-hmm. and I just want to Airbnb. Yep. And normally that would be vacation mode, but you could also earn while yeah. you're there because yeah. you can just open up the Boone app and be like, all right, well, maybe I'm just going to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Maybe I'm just going to bounce around and just yeah. enjoy it, exploring a city, pick up some work. And there's so many sites like this, but I haven't heard of one in the field you're in. Right. Like there's there a site for... Like there's a site called Upwork um, yeah. that my wife grips work from. And I just recently got some work through it, which okay. is, which is cool. And, um, it basically says, you know, a lot like what you were saying. Yeah. Um, but in the guy responded to me, I was like, cool, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Cause that's the way I roll. And he was like, oh, okay, great. Nice. <laughs> so, um, nice. But I think it's not as on demand as what you're saying. Yeah. So I would love to talk to Upwork for a minute. So in preparation for Boone, uh, and I actually have an article coming out on Forbes.com this week on on this very topic. But basically, uh, I spent uh, about three months working on Upwork Uh as a contractor to understand what the contractors feel. And then the entire original V1 of Boone was built on Upwork. Uh, So we use the gig economy to build a new gig economy because I wanted to know what are the pain points? What are people feeling? So we don't do those same things. Not that, I mean, I love Upwork. Upwork's been a lifesaver. Fiverr has been a lifesaver for, for startups and businesses. Do you believe, is this one of the common things you hear is a frustration that it, if you're not careful, a platform like this can cheapen the work of the entire profession. Absolutely. Because what happens is like, if you're a business owner and you have, you've dealt with competition before in your space, let's say your space got flooded, Josh, and a bunch of film professionals just came to carry and they're like, we're opening, so they're going to lower prices. They're going to try and outbid you. And the right thing to do would be to hold on, stay the course, because they're probably not going to be able to make it at that price point. Right. And so you wonder if these sites like this can't contribute to a similar thing. Like I'll do it for, you know, five bucks. Yeah. It's like, but I should be, everybody should be charging 65 Mm. as the fair price. So I definitely see that being the case. And Upwork does a really good job with that where they have, uh, Basic, intermediate, and expert, I think, are the three levels. Right. Or you beginner. Take, so if you've never heard of Upwork, you take skill tests. So yeah. if like I went on my was like, you should join Upwork. I'm like, great. So I take some skill tests and then it's like, great. So now they have rated my skills with this assessment. So people know what they're getting based on. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so that, that helps. Um, I always kept my rate super high. 
uh, as high as I would outside of Upwork. And it turned a lot of people off. They're like, oh, is that just your profile rate? I said, oh no, like if you hire me. And so that would turn a lot of people off, but it also weeded out the people that I probably wouldn't want to work for. Right. Uh, so that, that was very helpful, but uh, it, it's a very, the gig economy is interesting. And I think right. uh, some people say it's going to go away. I, I don't think it will. I do think there's a lot of turnover in the gig economy. You see people drive Uber for three or four months. You see people drive Lyft for three or four months and then they go away. But the reality is we we're all in times of transition at some point in our life. And we need that extra work or that extra pay or saving for the vacation or Christmas or traveling, whatever it is, right. we, we need to uh, have that. So I think the gig economy is definitely here to stay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's going to go away either. I think it's kind of built into the way that people say this generation is like yep. the freedom that it provides, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the ability to kind of chart your own course in a way. Cause there were options, there are options now that didn't exist. Like when we were going to school, mm-hmm. I didn't see the talk, but I saw, I saw a gentleman on a thumbnail of a blog that I was reading and I just assumed what a great talk because mm. basically the slide said these companies didn't exist 10 years ago and they were all these logos of the companies that didn't exist yeah. and he was at a graduation. So he was basically telling the kids, you don't know what you want to do because what you want to do doesn't exist yet because yeah. that's what happened to me. <laughs> like all these things that you have been part of your life for forever right. just weren't here a decade ago. Yeah, And um, so I think that the constant changes that we're always seeing are lending themselves to this kind of, there's so many different ways to, if you know what your why is, what you really want to do, if it's, I want to help provide value to people. I want to inspire people towards a positive change, whatever that why is, Mm. there are so many more ways that you can engineer your life. Right. Like if you've, if you're a fan of Tim Ferriss and you're at four hour work week, he calls it lifestyle design. Mm -hmm. Like that idea of like, so what do you actually want to do with your life? Mm-hmm. What's stopping you? Yeah. How do you build that path for yourself? Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know that gig economy is going to change and I'm excited for my daughters that they grow up in a world where that's a thing. Yeah. They can do what they want when they want. I think one of the other companies that hasn't been out uh, for longer than a couple of years is uh, well, the idea of crowdfunding and yeah. I'm not talking about Kickstarter or Indiegogo, but until you look at Uber. So let's talk about Uber for a minute. This mm-hmm. is a company that just IPO would a couple of weeks ago and, way, I mean, huge valuations. And if you look at like Menlo Ventures, one of their earlier, not earliest, but one of their earlier inventure, uh, investors, mm-hmm. they made 93 times return on yeah. their investment. So you put in a thousand dollars and get 93,000 out, uh, or do that to a million dollars. I mean, you're talking about some real cash, some real profit, but for the longest time that was only allowed to uh, investors were only allowed to be people that were accredited, which means they have a net worth of over a million dollars cash, essentially not including their house or some other certain assets and no debt. Um, and they also had to make a certain amount of money a year. And so very few people fell into this. So only the richest of the rich were able to invest in some of these opportunities to make, you know, huge, huge, huge returns. Everyone else is making six to 12% in the, the stock market, which is good, but you know, not, not these huge startup returns. Well, crowdfunding, um, just celebrated two weeks ago, it's three year anniversary. And now anyone pretty much can invest in a startup company mm-hmm. and you don't have to be an accredited investor and you can invest just a couple hundred dollars. And maybe that couple hundred dollars could turn into something that, you know, turns into $10,000 over the course of a startup's life cycle. So we actually, instead of going to venture capital, uh, in some of my relationships there to first raise for Boone, we actually launched, uh, yesterday on, uh, WeFunder and WeFunder allows individual investors to invest in Boone because as part of practicing good, we wanted to give that fair opportunity to everyone to get a piece of, of the pie, um, in a space. Uh, I mean, the healthcare staffing space is tw- in the U S is 20 times larger than the ride hailing space that Uber and Lyft are both in. Yeah. So tons of potential. So we want to do that too. So I'm curious, what did you learn through the launch of Boone that at a scale at which you're trying to, like, there's a difference between I'm creating a third space experience for some of my friends and buddies to I'm going after this niche in the market that is currently not met. What are some of the the big lessons that you learned going through this process? When no one has done it before, you have to make a lot of things up and and you just have to plow forward. And and I think that's been really uh, fun to create and say, Oh, we can do it this way. There mm-hmm. is no precedent. At the same time, it's like, I have no idea that doing it that way will work because yeah. 
there's nothing to fall back on. So we've leaned a lot on Upwork and Uber and Lyft and Grubhub and uh, you name the gig economy platform to see what worked, what didn't. Uh, I've done a ton of research, done a ton of user profiling and then comparing the individuals that work on those platforms to healthcare providers, which yeah. there's not a lot of crossover there. Um, yeah. Healthcare providers are often not driving on Lyft or Uber or delivering something on DoorDash or with Prime Now. So how can you overcome that? So it's been really fun to try and understand, uh, but be creative and realize that we're going to make mistakes and that's okay. And I, I've told all early investors, we're, we're not going to get everything right the first time, but we've, you know, we have the grit to keep going. And I think grit is a huge thing that, uh, if you haven't been in a startup before, uh, it's hard to to do that on your first startup. Yeah. But being able to go through, I mean, I've been in startups that have done FDA approval and compliance and been through uh, shortages and have been through losing some major clients and all sorts of different startups that have had different issues. And, uh, if you can persevere through that, get to your low cash point and wonder how you're going to make the next payroll, even with the Oak house and in Durham, you know, we had some, uh, unexpected financial, uh, hurdles, right. uh, just because Durham is becoming such a place that everyone wants to be in. Prices were climbing as we were doing construction. I mean, we, our end price for our build out was three times more than the original quote. Wow. Uh, so, you know, yeah, just, you guys are building in a phase where like building is expensive, right? Building now. is expensive and it's going to take a long time, much longer than we hope to make that money back. I mean, we'll be profitable probably in about 12 months, but we were hoping for a lot faster turnaround on that. Yeah. A lot of that stuff, you just, you just don't get to control as a business yeah. owner, but do you just throw in the towel or do you make it work? You make it work. I mean, especially with the Oak house, we've got a, a huge lease and personal guarantees. You just keep pushing forward. And I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, that's why not everyone's an entrepreneur. Everyone loves the idea of being an entrepreneur. It's this great idea, something yeah. exciting, but the reality is very few people have what it takes to push through no matter what. And there will be that time where you're on your knees and you're like, do I keep going or do I throw in the towel? And the companies that make it, are the ones that say, I'm going to keep going. I mean, if you look at any major company, right. Apple uh, was almost out of business multiple times. Uh, you see Uber in huge trouble with both legal things and with drivers getting beat or doing things they should. I mean, all these big companies have at some point been right. brought to their knees and how did they come through and persevere through that? I think um, I was reading this, I was listening. I always like to say reading when I listen to audiobooks because it makes me sound more scholarly. Mm -hmm. I was listening to the audiobook Atomic Habits and he was talking about, and so the premise of this book is it's kind of behavioral science. The small things that you do every day add up to big results over time. So nothing new, kind of an ancient mm -hmm. idea, but really interesting science behind it. And he was talking about, or maybe I was hearing about business owners and uh, the people that make it and the ones that don't, maybe he wasn't, maybe that's just the mindset I was in when I was listening to the audiobook. but he, he described it in such a way that I never heard in a business book before. And he said, the people that make it are the ones that can survive the boredom the longest. Mm -hmm. And what he was talking about was this notion of like, if you understand, like it's these tiny little habits that go into success for my job. And if the premise of the book is true, which is the tiny little habits don't pay big dividends immediately. And so life isn't an up into the right chart. Right. And so as like a business owner, like you're not always making 5% profit every month right. at the, at the Oak Room. It's just sometimes, maybe sometimes more, but it's just not that consistent. And um, so the people that are successful are the ones that can put up with the boredom the longest. And yeah, I, I love the intention of what he, what he's saying is, who can put in the work knowing that someday it's going to pay off, even though it's not paying off right now. Right. And it's tough. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's hard. And I believe that principle is so true. Like, cause some people work out like that. I think I kind of work out like that. Like I'll work out for a solid month and be like, all right, I'm buff. Look in the mirror. Not buff. This is stupid. I'm not working <laughs> out so hard. I worked out way too hard this month <laughs> to not change that much, but that's just not how exercising works. It's right. not a one month and you're done thing. Unless you're like one of the Avengers and you can pay a personal trainer. <laughs> <laughs> maybe those guys can well that's really awesome so ryan thank you so much for being on today's podcast yeah well thank you for having me it's yeah. been fun yeah. yeah you're an impressive dude yeah you thank are you, you kind of make me feel lazy a little bit yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i'm the guy who does stuff we supposed to be <laughs> but that's good that's meant as a compliment well thank yeah. you appreciate yeah. that yeah thanks for being here yeah, absolutely and sharing we love making this stuff for you you can help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts get unstuck tell a better story and have a good answer to the question what are you doing today 